puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Carl Wood and Company Here we go, Higherside Chatters, drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke, and offering up one hell of a show today with the great Ross Ben. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and I feel quite fortunate to have found his work, and I'm lucky that he was willing to join me on the show because one branch I've really come to love on the THC topical tree is that of Elite Rituals. And we've had several great guests over the years try and parse out the game behind the game by highlighting actions, players, and symbols that they think can be linked together to comprise a larger ritual thread, and they often show a cause and effect between things we generally wouldn't have considered connected, it's a unique way to look at the world, and I search far and wide for knowledgeable researchers who make a compelling case for just this sort of thing. Because it's all well and good to interview the names we know about their latest book release as they do the rounds within what we could call conspiracy media, but I like to take you off the beaten path to places and people you might not be familiar with, and perspectives you probably haven't heard stitched together in quite this way. And sometimes that means an interview with someone who doesn't use Skype and doesn't have the latest Blue Yeti microphone or a media representative or any of that stuff that you get with the more brand conscious researchers. It's a give and a take, but I'm prefacing this show to say that Ross Ben is kind of one of these guys. No disrespect to him. He does amazing work and it's definitely well loved within the people who are aware of it. But he's also a bit off the grid, a walker of the higher walk, so to speak, a purist in a sense. It's actually more respectable in a big way. But when we only have an older model cell phone with a spotty connection to go on, it's what we have to deal with to capture these less heard voices. Luckily, I have a fund for hiring freelance audio engineers for these special cases. And thanks to the plus members out there, because I know this interview sounds as good as it can, and we took the annoying clicks and pops and static from typical cell phone calls. We took that out. But it is still a bit of a quality differential worth mentioning before we dive right into it. I think you'll love it. It doesn't distract too much. And I'm excited about sharing this show. And I'm excited about the prospect of making many new Ross Ben fans. Because I think he's a cool dude and definitely plugged in, man. It's impressive. I'd love to have him back because, as you'll hear, I know he's got a lot more in the tank and we could only get to so much in a single show. So I just wanted to step in and let you know what to expect, but I think you'll find the journey well worth the extra effort in that never-ending balancing act between audio quality and content quality. And with that, let's do the damn thing. Time-warping rituals, secret esoteric orders, and a true expose of the reality-unraveling agendas of the nefarious few. Enjoy. Here's a chance to run down the rabbit hole. He's asking who is really running the show. All right, higher side chatters, it's no secret that the capstone cabal has worked hard to maintain an ironclad grip on humanity, has stripped down our education system to create cogs for the machine, and has hidden away so much of the vital history that tells us who we are and why we're here. Of course, nobody can answer those questions for you in particular, but I doubt you manifested here to spend the better portion of your life clocking into some makeshift cubicle, watching more Netflix, or collecting numbers on a screen for someone else's dream. 
Yet many of us seem hypnotized and marginalized, compelled to continue for reasons that I don't understand. It's a series of dirty tricks that we're wising up to more and more each day, and if you ask me, the place where the rubber really meets the road is with high-level magic and the ritualized manipulation of the masses and reality itself. It's an ancient game and one they've baked into many of our monuments, traditions, and major world events, and I think it's high time we unpack all this stuff if we ever really want to reclaim our earthly plane. Well, fortunately, dear people of the internet, this is all right in the wheelhouse of today's guest, Ross Ben. If you're unfamiliar, Ross is known for being an innovative educator, counselor, wellness provider, peacekeeper, astrologer, Rossiki, energy healer, and jack of many other trades. He has a Master of the Arts degree in African American Studies from Temple University, and he's the author of Rocks of Ages, Ancient Technologies for the New Millennium, which explores using crystals and sacred stones as resources for a spiritual technology. He's also given several amazing presentations on the threads of this high magic that he's uncovered and the underlying elite agenda that have repeatedly blown my simple stoner mind. From the esoteric hotbed that is Philadelphia, a true student of history, mystery, and prophecy, the great ritual revealer and spiritual teacher of the timelines, Ross Ben, my man. Welcome to the higher side. Oh, thanks. Honor. Oh, yeah, man. I am super psyched for you to be here. I've become familiar with you largely through your conference presentations, which are just so impressive. You tend to break down threads of elite magic that make the most complex things start to seem much more clear. I've learned a lot from everyone that I've seen, and the theme that connects them, your often repeated phrase, seems to be that the elite are working the highest form of magic, which is to control, determine, and manipulate historic and prophetic timelines. And man... To get the ball rolling here, I guess, would you mind, broadly speaking, fleshing that out a bit for the people? What does that phrase really mean? Uh, essentially, when you think about your life force, you're here, you're human, you got a quantum amount of life force that you want to express, but you want it to have the most powerful impact possible, right? You might do something in your community maybe have a lot of children, these things, they're pretty impressive ways of expressing your life force. But the ones who call themselves magi, ones really working the science that you were talking about in the introduction, in their world, the most powerful way to express that magi is to control, manipulate, determine the outcome of historic and prophetic timelines, you know? Mm -hmm. And they've been doing this definitely from Roman times, probably from Babylonian, and maybe even prior. But we can for sure trace this from Roman times, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, you've done a really impressive job of decoding these things because they are so deep and they go back to basically the beginning of the timeline itself. And I find that it just takes so much digging and so much context that it is a real gift to be able to tell people about these things. I am curious how you found yourself doing this because I've heard you mention deep meditation and a connection to your ancestors and communication with the Brothers of Star Nation, and I get what you mean with a lot of that, but what else can be said about how you do what you do in a way that maybe the people listening can cultivate similar skills, because we need them? Yes. Well, I currently live here in Philadelphia, and I've lived here about 20 years, but I'm not from here. Originally, I'm from Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia is an amazingly mystical place. And I've had the fortune to travel many places, national and international. And Philly tops the list as far as mystical places. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it was really coming here and different experiences that I had here that awakened all of this. And the first thing being Philadelphia... From a long time, it's been associated with being a haunt, a place where, like, the living and the dead 
live side by side. Mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe, even though the Raven and his life, a lot of that's associated with Baltimore. But he was actually living in Philadelphia when he was tapping in to some of his deepest works. And I think a lot of your listeners might be aware of that movie, Sixth Sense, the Bruce Willis movie, I See Dead People. Yes. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked nowhere else but Philly, man, because that's how it is, you know. It's a Scorpio city, so-called Penn Treaty, being birthed October 27th, 1684, and given it a Scorpio city, you know, Scorpio rules the underworld and the dead and ancestors. And that seems to have really created a scene where, yeah, man, there's a lot of ancestors here. And for whatever reason, they're able to maintain a presence, a strong life force. And they want their stories told. They want people to know some of the deeper things that has gone on here. So that's one thing. And on another level, the public art in Philadelphia, everything that they're doing is really hidden in plain sight, Mm. right in front of you, like in real deep, profound ways. And actually, this is a part of the magic. The geomancy that they're working, all of this is a part of the magic because we know, well, I shouldn't assume we know, but they're practicing hermetic science, using hermetic law, the laws that are articulated clearly in that classic work, the Kabbalion. So you got the law of mentality, the law of cause and effect, law of vibration, law of polarity, but they really focus on that law of mentality because all is mine. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to work some science, if they're going to work some magic, first they got to have your consent. And they actually also got to be really transparent because if they violate the law of free will, then they're going to set up karmic dynamics where their will will be denied. Mm -hmm. It won't be able to manifest. So they tell us everything that they're doing, but they don't use English like I'm clearly articulating with you now. They use the language of the muses, which is art, architecture, and archetype symbols. So Philadelphia as a city is considered a museum without wall. That's how much public art is displayed throughout the city. And it's not randomly placed. And when you look at the art, not just as an individual piece, but look at where they're placed and the meaning of the statues as a collective, it tells an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And I've just had the fortunate grace and ability to hear certain ancestors that showed me this story and helped me decode a lot of the architecture, archetype symbols of the city. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing, man, because... There are other guests I've had that are more magically inclined from all over the world, and they tell me very similar things. I mean, it's not something that I have been able to tap into myself, but I am constantly reminded that there are many tales that have gone down with the ancestors, and they cannot rest, or they're just desperately interested in resurrecting the truth for the people that are still out there. And that is just a powerful motif in and of itself. Yeah, I affirm that. Mm. And so to get into your latest presentation, man, I think this one's called Trump and the Mandela Effect, but you say in it, it should really be called the Philadelphia Experiment Effect. Help us understand why that is. Yeah, so I feel like most of your listeners are aware of this so-called Mandela Effect. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that there has been a divergence from what they call recorded history or like what appears real now versus what people remember them being, let's say maybe a decade or two decades ago, like the whole Berenstein Bears, <laughs> the Berenstein or the Berenstein. Right, it's named Mandela Effect because some people recall Mandela passing while in prison. Some are aware of his recent passing, which I think was in 2016 or 2013, maybe. Mm-hmm. So the fabric of space-time has been manipulated, right? But the thing is, usually when we use that term, blank effect, that blank is usually the cause of what we're talking about. It's not an effect. So like when we say placebo effect, we're saying, hey, if I give you a fake or a placebo medicine, but I tell you that it's real, even though it's a placebo, it's going to cause a healing response in your body. Or like the butterfly effect, this idea that if a butterfly flaps its wings on the East Coast, it might set off a tsunami or a hurricane in the West Coast, the flapping of the wings is the cause of the effect. But Nelson Mandela's the malalignment of the recorded history versus what many people remember around Mandela, that's an effect. What's the cause? What's causing this phenomenon? So if you want to clearly articulate causality, it would be called the Philadelphia Experiment Effect. And that's important because misnomers create confusion. If we don't name this thing clearly, we're never going to really fully understand what we're dealing with because Nelson didn't do it. Mandela didn't do it. And so we could call it the Bernstein-Bear Effect or the Darth Vader effect. (laughs) And it would mean the same as calling it the Mandela effect because all of these are different effects, different manifestations. Yeah, it'll stand as an example of what the phenomena is, but it's not going to tell us causality. And again, if we want to know that, what is the root cause of it? Philadelphia experiment effect. The manipulation of the fabric of space-time with technology started right here. Right. And what a lot of people might not know is, of course, we have the term Philadelphia Experiment branded in our brains to talk about what happened with the U.S. Eldridge and that experiment with the Navy ship. But as you note in the presentation, Philadelphia Experiment has an earlier meaning that relates to Ben Franklin and maybe where we can find some type of origin point. Of course, you know, this might go back to Babylon, but in recent years, we can find this possible origin point for manipulating that time and space. And what's the deal there when it relates to Ben Franklin? Hmm. Well, we know that Ben Franklin is accredited with quote-unquote, discovering electricity or conducting an experiment in which he demonstrated that lightning and static electricity are the same phenomena. And he did that by flying the kite with the keys. So all that's iconographic and associated with Ben Franklin. But what the archetype symbols and architecture of Philadelphia also said is that there is a whole other side of that. And that involves Ben Franklin opening up the gates of hell to free the Titans or the Nephilim or those fallen angels that were imprisoned in the earth in exchange for receiving electric fire from Prometheus, one of the few Titans who weren't imprisoned in the earth in the clash of the titans and who 
ultimately freed the Titan by giving humanity the electric fire from the heavens. Mm-hmm. So here you have Franklin involvement with the Hellfire Club and the Society of the Nine Sisters or the Order of the Nine Sisters, these more nefarious orders of Europe that ultimately was about opening up these gates of hell. And really you could say the United States is the embodiment of Ben Franklin opening up the gates of hell. But now how that plays out with the Philadelphia experiment All of Ben Franklin's works in Europe collectively were known as the Philadelphia Experiment, okay? So if you go and you read news accounts in England or France in that colonial era, references to Franklin and his works in Philadelphia was called the Philadelphia Experiment. He himself labeled the specific act of that experiment showing that lightning and static electricity were the same phenomena. He himself named that the Philadelphia experiment. So in pop culture or in more modern culture, we associate that term Philadelphia experiment with the experiment of August 12th, 1943, where the USS Eldridge and their intention was to test Einstein's theory of relativity using newly confiscated Tesla coils that were calibrated by the first computer created by Jean von Neumann, which when they did that, it blew a hole open in the fabric of space-time. So that's what most of us associate with the Philadelphia experiment, but it actually goes back a little bit further to Ben Franklin. And truth be told, It actually goes back to William Penn because Philadelphia was William Penn's quote-unquote holy experiment. And this is all articulated in William Penn's prayer for Philadelphia where his holy experiment for Philadelphia was that if he could create a colony where the gathered churches of London and the indigenous of the land could live together in harmony, then his prayer was that his colony would be saved on Judgment Day for the hour of trial. Now, William Penn's holy experiment was really an attempt to manipulate a historic and prophetic timeline. It was an attempt to manipulate the prophetic timeline of the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia, which in Revelations, there's these messages to seven churches. Of the seven, only one receive a beneficent prophecy, and that is the Church of Philadelphia. And that prophecy is, this is going to be the congregation that's saved in the hour of trial that's supposed to come upon the whole world. So, short for what they would call Judgment Day, or Judgment Day is short for this prophecy. So William Penn, in founding this colony of Philadelphia, was attempting to manipulate that prophetic timeline by creating an event that mimicked that fulfillment but it ultimately had a nefarious intention embedded in it. And that nefarious intention was the resurrection of Rome in this land. And he actually was pretty successful at it. And to seal that thought, so it's not coincidental that the Philadelphia experiment, which was an attempt to manipulate historic and prophetic timelines with the use of technology, that it was born out of a holy experiment named Philadelphia, that it in and of itself is a manipulation of a historic and prophetic timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the timeline manipulation aspect is so fascinating. 
but also just the idea that the elite have used occult power to extract or trade for much of the building blocks of our modern technology. I mean, that's pretty mind-blowing. It's something we've looked at a lot, actually, but never really in relation to Ben Franklin. You note that he was a member of the Philadelphia Society, a subgroup of the Rosicrucians. We know the Rosicrucians had a lot to do with the founding, and Sir Francis Bacon was a huge player in that. You mentioned, of course, that Prometheus was Ben Franklin's inspiration for opening the gates of hell. Yes. That the same type of deal-making is why he's credited with discovering electricity, which really is, like you said, another form of fire. So it's like he did something for them, they tossed him a bone back, and this has happened at several points in our occulted history, it seems. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the Granada Treaty, which it's my understanding was signed by Eisenhower with that entity they call EB or mm. it wasn't EB, one of what they would call the Greys in those 50s. It really articulates, formalizes the same relationship that the language of the Muses says is between humanity and the Nephilim right there on the Ben Franklin Parkway because you have the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And I should even back up and say everything that happens on the Ben Franklin Parkway, according to the El Nope or the Lenape, who were the indigenous of this land, everything that happens in that area happens with the full participation of the earth. Hmm. There's a sacred earth mound that the Philadelphia Museum of Art is built on. There's the ley line network, the magnetic strength of that region, so strong. Humans do things there, it happens with the full participation of the earth. And there, they have currently the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is a temple to the muses, architecturally. It's a Greco, Greek fashion temple to the muse. The immortal entrance is blocked. By Prometheus strangling the vulture. So I want to spend a lot of time getting super deep in the mythology. Folks can follow up on it. But Prometheus was bound by a vulture for giving humanity electric fire. He's blocking the immortal entrance to this temple and strangling his captor, strangling the vulture. Meanwhile, the mortal entrance is wide open. Anyone can just walk straight in. But on the side, you have two Nephilim and a statue called Social Consciousness. You have two Nephilim, one sodomizing the other, vampiring two mortals. So isn't that the same thing that they say was agreed in the Granada Treaty, where you got these underground bases where the graves are like, yeah, we'll give y'all technology. We'll show y'all these this craft. We'll show you these V craft. Just give us subjects to experiment on. <laughs> and bam, there you have it. So there is continuity. Absolutely. It ties in so many different threads that we've been wondering about for a long time. Anyone who's been picking up on the little puzzle pieces in the conspiracy world, it's like, you connect them with this stuff and it just makes a lot of sense. And when I'm trying to get a handle on time and space and this idea of timeline manipulation, 9-11 is talked about a lot as one of these rituals that the post 9-11 world is quite different. Mm. And, you know, that makes it a little bit easier to conceptualize because we all know what happened. We lived that. Yeah. But it still gets a bit hazy even there. You talk about, you know, the later Philadelphia experiment that we know in pop culture with the USS Eldridge, as well as the Montauk Project 40 years to the day after that. And you say they opened a 40 by 40 hole in the fabric of space time. And this gets us kind of to the Mandela effect, or we see where it's starting to form. But initially, it was just across the 40th latitude. Is that right? Yeah. Why we say it's a 40 by 40 hole? Well, chronologically, time-wise, 
It is a 40-year duration. But Philadelphia straddles the lower cusp of the 40th parallel. And technically, the Philadelphia experiment occurred on the 39th point nine 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 five parallel hmm. montauk point long island where the montauk experiments were continued in the 80s is like the 41st point zero 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 three degree of latitude right on the northern cusp of the 40th parallel. So spatially, that hole in the fabric of space-time, it encompasses the 40th degree of parallel from Philadelphia to New York. It's from this major breach in the fabric of space-time that they've been able to do a lot of their manipulation. A big part of it, I think, was tapping deeper technology it seemed like right after Montauk experiment in 83, it was shortly thereafter they tapped technology for quantum computing, which I think is responsible for what we're seeing as this so-called Mandela effect or Philadelphia experiment effect. Mm-hmm. And we know that it was confiscated Tesla coils that were used on the Eldridge when Tesla's technology was confiscated. It was taken up to MIT, who was the point man in charge for determining if it had military or economic viability. It was John Trump, Donald Trump's biological uncle, his father's brother. Yeah, no small thing. No small thing. And there's so many tangential things related to time travel and Donald Trump that we can't count it out just because it sounds really far-fetched. One thing is the children's book series on Baron Trump. Yeah. Going to the inner earth. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) And then the Biff Tanner character in Back to the Future 2, who is like eerily reminiscent of this Trump presidency. Right. He's an egotistical asshole who owns casinos. And it is just crazy that the biggest time travel trilogy franchise of our time is closely connected to the idea of manipulating timelines by this particular character. And I agree with you. It's really wild. And people start looking at you like, why are you pulling from Hollywood to try to describe the real world? But like you said, the language of the muses, I mean, media, arts, that's kind of how they tell us things. So it's not that far-fetched. Exactly. And I think it works to their favor with the whole predictive programming and deconditioning. And it puts observant aware ones in the position when you say these things it's like oh you watch too much follywood or you're tripping you're on some old other stuff it makes it unbelievable to the masses or unacceptable to the masses as reality because they've been first exposed to it as fantasy mm-hmm. or science fiction but philadelphia is the jump off and I feel it started here and I feel it's going to end here. That like even now, the spiritual, vibrational, energetic battle, Mm -hmm. it weighs in the hinges right here. I have to mention that Philadelphia, that what happens here happens with the full participation of the earth. Let me run down some recent examples of how they tap this. Cool. Particularly with the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Bam, you got the music industry about a decade ago. Music industry about to go under. Not able to make the transition from hard copy distribution to online distribution. Artists like Prince breaking off, exposing, 
showing different artists, being that example, like you can do you without the industry. Yeah. What do they do? They start this Made in America concert series with Jay-Z and Beyonce and all the biggest artists that they have signed, make it an annual event right there on Ben Franklin Parkway. Bam. Music industry straight now. Hmm. Boom. Fast forward a little bit. Vatican. Benedict Sixteenth scandalized pedophilia rings going up to the highest reaches of the Vatican. It gets so crazy. A Pope has resigned first time in hundreds of years. Yeah. Boom. Francis comes in. It's still shaky. What does Francis do? Holds the biggest public mass in history right there at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And they're still dealing with the sex scandals, but they got a movie now coming out on Francis. Pope Francis, a man of his word, right? And the Vatican's been able to make a turnaround. Like when Francis first came in, everyone was prophesizing the downfall of the Vatican. Now they rebound. Yeah, I had to come to Philly and recharge the magic. That's what they did. Now, Damn. latest example, NFL. First, they rocked with the concussion scandal, right? Got to break off the veteran players, the ex-players, billions of dollars. Then you got the Kaepernick thing go down. So now there's this racial polarization and viewership is reaching all-time lows and the concussion scandal is making parents rethink do we even want to put our children in football? Numbers of ranks of football from peewee through college all declining, and it just looks like football is on the decline. So what do they do? The 2017 NFL draft was held bang, Philadelphia Museum of Art. And then it ends up Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl. So they have the final Super Bowl parade that culminates where? Philadelphia Museum of Art. Now NFL ratings back on the upswing. <laughs> Fascinating, man. Yeah, so those are three examples recent that we can all see and we witnessed this thing. Right. Because the events that they held there, they happened with the full participation of the earth. <laughs> Damn. So let me step back a minute to that original phrase that they're using the highest form of magic to control, determine, and manipulate historic and prophetic timelines. I want to ask you about that prophetic timelines part because it's a little harder to wrap my head around than historic timelines, really because what makes a prophecy potent? Mm. How could they look at the breadth of prophecies that have been made and know how to prioritize them or which ones are likely to actually manifest because people make claims all the time. Mm. And of course, it's really easy to see when it comes to the Bible and the book of Revelations because that's an aspect of this, but it's not the only aspect. And I'm curious, I guess, what makes a prophecy important or how do they determine its worth? That's a powerful question. And I would say on one level, ultimately, it's relative. That's why they're able to manipulate prophetic timelines in the first place. Because truly, when you talk about time and what's going to manifest, ultimately, all one can say is time will tell. Because who really knows? But this is my opinion, that the first prophet, the least known prophet in the West, the one they call Enoch and the Book of Enoch, that was the first, and truth be told, should be the only prophecy there is. So what I would say, in my humble opinion, prophecy that's aligned or with echoes, the words of Enoch, the first prophet, are ultimately what's going to manifest. 
And ultimately, what his prophecy says, those fallen angels, those Nephilim, those titans, those ones imprisoned in the earth that have been manipulating humanity from a long time, they're going to catch a harsh judgment. And humanity is going to receive a heaven on earth through the assistance of the angelic host or star nation. So the prophecy has been manipulated first going back into Roman time with the book of Enoch being made anathema or as if it never existed. That meant not only was the book of Enoch eliminated, but any works that made reference to Enoch or any works that echoed Enoch's teaching, all of that was eliminated in Rome. So before 473, there was a big manipulation in prophetic timeline. The book of Enoch was attempted to be completely eliminated. So from that point, Revelation became the driving prophetic vision of the West. And Revelations really is Revelations of St. John the Baptist. Really, that's a redacted summary of Enoch. That's what Revelations is. And then it itself was manipulated in the 7th century by this man known historically as pseudo Methodius. He wrote a book called The Apocalypse of pseudo Methodius. Now, we've got to rewind real quick. We know it was the Romans who crucified Christ. Pseudo-Methodius manipulates prophecy such that now you've got this Roman emperor. It's the first time you've got a Roman emperor appearing as a savior. He says that it's going to be the legions of Rome that saves a sinful Christian. The apocalypse, according to Pseudo-Methodius, the Christian world is awash in sin. Homosexuality, swinging, cross-dressing, all these other sexually aberrant behaviors rampant in the Christian world. And God unleashes the sons of Ishmael from out the desert. So Pseudo-Methodius introduced a lot of different elements in prophecy that was ultimately a corruption, but it's really the only prophecy we know. And that is this idea of it's not the fallen angels in the earth that manipulated us that's going to catch the harsh judgment. It's the sinful humans that are going to catch the harsh judgment now. Trying to like bait and switch the story. Exactly. Okay, so now, bam, you got these sinful humans and you also got this war of Muslims and Christians. Okay, and we see how this is playing out today. Ultimately, which prophetic timeline is going to be the one that manifests? I think we got a lot of work to do to figure out which one we want to be on. <laughs> do we want to be on that original Enochian timeline where we witness these Nephilim cast their harsh judgment and we receive this heaven on earth? Or do we want to be in this doomsday timeline where we allow ourselves to get consumed with so much hatred that we allow this world war that they're attempting to play out between is it real and the Islamic world. Are we going to let this thing play out? <laughs> yeah, man, it's super deep and kind of tough to unpack because it requires all the historical knowledge that you're throwing out there that a lot of people just weren't taught in school. But to tie this to something that conspiracy folks are aware of, this would also relate possibly to that thing we hear all the time that the Jewish banking families are really Azakanazi banking families that are a big part of the power pyramid. We always hear that they're crypto Jews or that they co-opted the Jewish people, but they aren't really Jewish. And these are kind of things that 
are really over my pay grade, but a lot of researchers will say these things. And I think it might tie in as well to like a biblical prophecy and trying to be like, oh, well, if the Jewish people have God's favor, then I'm going to make sure that that's me and I'm going to claim that as my own. And maybe that's why they did what they did in this regard. Is that close to what you're thinking? I don't think we can have any one way of interpreting. I think we have to have the both and yeah. perspectives. I definitely feel what you're saying. But now, in the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia, you made me pull out my Bible, man. <laughs> it says, Behold, I will make them that are of the synagogues of Satan. Those who say they are Jews, but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I've always loved thee. So now there is reference to these Jews who say they are Jews, but are not, but are the synagogue of Satan in the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia. And you're right. They are intimately connected, because if you ask me, what is Philadelphia ultimately? It's an urban act of magic that was designed to control, manipulate, and determine the outcome of a key prophetic timeline. That prophetic timeline being the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia. Though mm. so that congregation that will be saved in the hour of trial. The intention behind this urban act of magic was to invert this prophecy so that it will fall upon Rome and not the collective of humanity known as Israel, of who it was supposed to be initially for. Mm -hmm. In the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia, it says, yo, watch out for these cats, because it is these Jews who say they are Jews but are not who are responsible for birthing Philadelphia. Now, I would call them the Order of the Rosy Cross. They do have Ashkenaz in their bloodline, but it's bigger than Ashkenaz from what I've seen. And I don't think any one particular nation, race, or tongue is responsible for this thing we're in. Truth be told, who is responsible for our place in space-time? gotta be us we are yeah man <laughs> i'm responsible for my place in space time we all are responsible for our own place in space time you know yeah i think it's important to be able to digest this stuff and also take responsibility for your own place in life and not get caught up in a victim mentality because that doesn't serve anybody absolutely that was the point that i'm making however Ashkenaz, the children of Ashkenaz, who biblically or in prophecy, because Ashkenaz is in the Bible, he's of the descent of Japhet, Gomer, who God ultimately in prophecy, they will be who we would call Gog and Magog. And there's a deep legacy with that too. I don't know if you are trying to go there or not. I don't know how relevant. It is. Well, it's all fascinating. And the, I know there are many threads to that. One that people would probably be familiar with is that uh, apparently in Skull and Bones, George W. Bush and his dad took up those names of Gog and Magog and that that relates to why they did the stuff they did in the Middle East. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's powerful. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's about all I know. <laughs> Man. Well, you know, in prophecy, Gog and Magog were portrayed as like the inhumane, dehumanized hordes that did the bidding of the Antichrist in the final days. Mm. And they say that Alexander the Great, that he built a large wall enclosing them in what they were called in Alexander time, the Caspian Mountain, which we know today as the Caucasoid Mountain. Mm -hmm. 
the, the hordes of Gog and Magog were supposed to be bound in these walls until the end days when they would be unleashed. Like a summary of prophecy. And they were unleashed. But who unleashed them? I call them merchant Jews. Because, of course, when you talk about this topic, you got to be ready to put on the target for those who claim anti-Semiticism to take shots at you. Fair. Let's say you're talking about Jews and that, that, that. But just like there's a Christian world, just like there's an Islamic world, there was a Judaic world. And there are many people worldwide of a Hebrew, Israelite tradition, either by bloodline or by conversion. So I'm not talking about them. But the reality is, is that there were a merchant class of Judaic merchants in the Mediterranean world that had plans for global domination. And they are the ones who actually unleash God and Magog. In other words, opening up the world to who I think we would call ethnically the Eastern European Slavic tongue to be a part of this world domination. So, yeah, man, it's <laughs> as challenging as it is to do the research. It's even more challenging to articulate it yes. in a way that doesn't inflame toxic emotion and is expressed in a way that people can hear and receive the truth. Right. Without getting all emotional about it. I'm with you. It can be difficult for sure. Yes. I worked just as hard as that. And that freedom of mind was a great opportunity for me because they weren't my typical audience. You know, basically I served the African-American slash black slash Moorish. You know, that's a big thing within our community now is what do we call ourselves? What do we identify as? But that Free Your Mind conference was an opportunity to step outside of the traditional community that I serve and share the message that I have. Yeah. And because I put as much effort into being able to clearly articulate it without causing bitter feelings or toxic emotions, I think that's why has been received the way it has. Yeah, man. I love those presentations. And man, this has just been so, so enlightening. You got a level of insight and an attitude that I strive to achieve. And we didn't even touch on some of the great subjects I've seen you break down. So I hope I can get you back. But before we call it in, tell the people where they can get more Ross Ben in their lives and check out some of the work you've been referencing and the services that you're offering. Okay, my web presence is rasben.com, R-A-S-B-E-N.com. And my YouTube channel is rasben188. And I noticed that people have videos of myself online, but I have what I consider best representations of my work on my YouTube channel. I did write a book called Rocks of Ages, which is on crystals and sacred stones. It's available for purchase on rospin.com. I also got a short video on it on my YouTube channel, The Rocks of Ages Story. And I do want to say too that I am in the final stages of preparing to release or releasing something I've been working on for about six years, six, seven years. A book that originally was going to be entitled Mystic Philadelphia, which has kind of evolved into the title Great Mystery Philadelphia, an Urban Act of Magic. And Creator Willing, it'll be released this summer. I'm planning on doing a crowdsourcing campaign to help me generate the funds for going to press as well as give myself 30 days where 
I don't have to run around worrying about BLs to help me just be still enough to bring it all together because I am still publishing and, you know, doing everything as independent as possible. I am outsourcing some graphic work, but other than that, I'm bringing the whole thing together myself. So I would say to the people, keep checking in at rossbiz.com. And when you see the crowdsourcing campaign, pre-order the book, share a donation. I do have a donate now button on my page if you're inspired because I'm a humble man. I don't go out boasting and promoting myself like others might. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I really do depend on the goodness of people to support my efforts. So, yeah, if you're feeling the vibe, it'll be truly appreciative love. Go toward a good cause. And I'm excited about this book only because I've never read nothing like it. <laughs> and I actually thought it was going to come out about four years ago. But what happened is more information kept coming. It was like every time I thought it was sealed up, more information would come. More information would come. But I'm at a point now where I know it's like it's done. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's sealing up the fullness of it. I've been revealed some of the fullest mysteries of this country through studying this city mm. and even beyond. Right. So I'm looking forward to it coming out. And I think it would be well received by your audience. <laughs> so keep a lookout. You see the pre-order, hit me up, please. Yeah. Awesome, man. I agree. I think it'll be right up our alley. Hopefully this episode can help throw some magical fuel on that fire of yours, but powerful words overall, amazing work. You know, a lot of researchers try to tie all humanity's loose ends up into a cohesive package, but I'm a huge fan of the way you do it and the way the pieces fit. And I just think you've nailed the big agenda and I hope we can stay rooted in our native timeline, man. But until we talk again, take care out there. Thank you, good brother. Continue good works, all right? All right. All right. Respect. Praise be, higher side chatters. Praise be indeed the great Ross Ben. Hopefully you were a little familiar with him before, but if not, I hope we snagged him a lot of new fans because I really do like his take on things. Of course, this is just an audio show, but do check out his Free Your Mind conference presentations if you want to see him walk through some of these topics with the help of slides. I mean, who knows if this is it 100%, but I think something like this is very much in the neighborhood of being accurate. And I also love the way he gets his information. A bit of research and a bit of direct download and a little bit of enlightenment due to his connection to the land and those who came before. He seems like a cool guy living life on a higher level than the green paper chase that's got so many of us. Obviously, that comes with its own complications and challenges, but it's a respectable thing if you ask me. Sometimes I feel like, as a show or as a brand, we do play the game so that we can seek out these more obscure voices and let them benefit from our marketing efforts and all the bullshit that I eh, kinda do. But I'm actually gonna try and do a lot better as we go forward. But that's how you get a large audience. I don't even love all that stuff, but like I'm saying, that's how we connect you to Ross Ben. You know, I'm a middleman. I'm a conspiratorial talent scout, if you will. Anyway. Even though we've been digesting this sort of material for a long time, to summarize the big agenda as he does, as the manipulation of historic and prophetic timelines, I mean, that's one hell of a way to put it, right? Very succinct, and at its core, I kind of think he nails it. So many different stories and threads and sagas can be tied right back into that one phrase. Gotta love his perspective on cannabis, too. It's why the Higher Side Chats is the name of the show. It has a lot of value, and even if it doesn't resonate with every guest, it's been a mind-opener for me. It's also something that I find brings people together and is a crucial component to my way of life and how I got to this very spot. 
But I'd love to hear more from Ross Ben, and I encourage you, if you agree, to reach out and let him know that you like the show and you want to hear him on again. It's also funny how many shows recently have involved or centered around Philadelphia. Michael Wan and Mark Passio, even. That East Coast seems like it's coming up a lot lately. And another great thing about having such a unique guest is that the Plus Show is an even bigger treat than usual. And in this one, we got into some strange elements indeed. The fight we have going on between factions to be the builders of the new temple in Jerusalem, the true agenda of the tall white and reptilian beings to reclaim their DNA after being punished in a previous age, Gordy Rose's three predictions for the D-Wave computer, which actually tells us what to expect in the future because they always manifest their own prophecies, the JFK assassination and the Emperor of Ethiopia. I really love that thread, and it opened up a lot more that I want to unpack next time. And we talked about Ge'ez, our apparently oldest language, and how complex it is and how close it looks to Anakian. But I also wanted to know a little bit more about how he does what he does, and that would be by asking him how we can increase our connection to esoteric or lost knowledge or the voices around us or the land. It is a real skill that a lot of our guests have that I work on and I try to exercise, but it just is always lagging behind some of these guys. That is why I shut up and let them talk. But <laughs> So sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus by going to thehiresidechatsplus.com and get the second hour of this show and all the great episodes in the archives, always commercial-free and action-packed. We're coming up on the fourth anniversary of THC Plus and the eighth anniversary of the show in general, and we're probably going to make some changes then, probably to price as well as me having more regular interaction with those people who support the show and an infrastructure for that. I've mentioned a lot lately that I've stepped back from social media, and that is very true. I feel a bit bad, actually. A lot of people end up going without replies. But instead of the back and forth of Facebook and Twitter, I'm actually thinking about doing a two-hour open lines sort of thing for plus people. A joint session, if you will so that I can have actual direct contact with you guys, but also if I'm dealing with a bunch of crazies or something gets weird, it will be quite obvious and public and probably a lot of fun. So prepare for the fine-tuning, and I'll have more to say as we get closer. These are just ideas I'm spitballing. But regardless, I loved this episode. Big thanks to Ross Ben and to you for listening. That's it for me this week. Your move, titans of time magic, Philadelphia effect facilitators and manipulators of the big prophecy. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can. To ask you a question. I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? You say-
say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world. You say that we're so screwed, don't you know? 